Greetings, Stanford Cinema. How's everybody doing? As always, I am your host, Andrew Stamper. Tonight, we wrap up or we conclude our three-part of, or rather, we conclude our third part of this three-part Bill and Ted trilogy series. And with this episode, we're going to discuss the 2020 release of Bill and Ted Face the Music. Returning, of course, it is Mr. Johnny Bones Rowe. How's it going, John? Hey, it's going great, man. What is new? Last time we chatted with you, you were in the process of still unpacking everything. Yeah, no, I got a lot of stuff unpacked. Uh, it's still raining in Austin, so we're still happy about that. Um, the first, one of the first casts we had, you asked about Tottenham season, and one of the big news in my life is that we got back our favorite player of all time. I think I deleted every reference to Tottenham, so my podcast listeners will have no idea what you're talking about. That's good to know. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, it is. This is this has been a big week for y'all, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's huge. It's absolutely huge. Uh, in sports terms, it's hard to like. I've thought about like it's kind of like LeBron going back to Cleveland. Oh, we talk often about how you know athletes just don't go home. They just don't go back to the same place. Their careers are short, you know, in a way like they don't have the ability. If they leave from somewhere after four years and they play four years, summer years, that's eight years. And that's most athletes' careers. They're they're very good and very lucky. Uh, The jersey, the kit, as they say, is in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) I... I'm building a one through 11 and the number nine Bale jersey fits in perfectly, you know, with the 10 cane. Is he going to wear the nine? He's wearing the nine. Okay. Yep. So I got a Bale three and a Bale nine. I got two Bales on my pitch. So get ready. Look at yeah. You just got to wait six weeks. <laughs> yeah. Cause Bale in quintess- quintessential Bale fashion. He's injured, and yeah, hopefully he'll be back after the international break in October. Yeah, well, I'm not. I mean, our goal this season is to win a trophy. Like, would I take fifth place in Europa Cup so we get Champions League, or fourth place, no trophy, fifth place, Europa Cup? Exactly. I mean, really, at the end of the day, I mean, we we can talk about you know top four finish, being able to qualify and play in Champions League. And as an Arsenal fan, we did that year in and year out for longer than any other team consistently from like one season to the next in the premiership. Well, you finished 20 years over Tottenham. 20 years over Tottenham. And I imagine in, was it the uh, 92 season along those, whenever Arsene came in, he just was top four every season, right? Yeah. Yep. Every year that Arsene Wenger was a coach and it was great. You know, we won the league with Arsene Wenger three times and that was wonderful. But the, the back half of it, just settling for top four finishing, it got boring. But what never, ever gets boring is winning a trophy, whether it's the league or whether it's a, a different tournament that takes place over the course of a season, like an FA Cup or like a League Cup or something of that nature. That's really what it's all about for players is when when the tournament is over and you're standing there holding up a trophy, that's what a competitor really gives a shit about, right? I guess I've never seen my team win a trophy. Oh, uh, <laughs> so so what we get excited about is getting Gareth Bale back. Right, <laughs> like that's that, that, that is, is your trophy, trophy, right? Yeah, yeah that, that is your trophy. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. So, uh, I, I would imagine so. Cause that's, you know, it's not the destination is the journey. Mm-hmm. Like once you win that, you know, like if you win it, then the trip is amazing and you get to, you can go back and remember those games. You remember that one time, maybe what for you was, uh, Aaron Ramsey scoring a goal against us or something like that, or Rizisky, you know, like you can remember all those games that led up to I can remember many, many good days uh, as an Arsenal fan, but Hey, you know, but no, I, I, I'm, I'm, you know, giving you shit right now, but I totally get what you're, what you're, what you're saying and everything. I'm excited. You should be excited. (laughs) I'm excited. I'm happy. I'm happy and excited. I hope this is the best year ever in Tottenham's history, and I hope that you finish right below Arsenal. So either way, you know, I'm hoping for good things for you. My thing is, like, best year, most exciting year? Like, there's a way, like, we could finish fourth but have a more exciting year than the year we finished second where we were very defensive. We'll play – so – I imagine we'll be defensive because we're Mourinho and stuff like yeah. that. But uh, when you got Bale, who may be just past his prime, Harry Kane in his prime, and Son, who may be a superstar, somehow those are able to connect. You know, somehow they're able to make music together. Mm-hmm. Then the goals are going to flow. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that's that's the perfect scenario, right? And all, all you can do, and John and I joke about it all the time. We, we use this phrase ad nauseum, but you got to play the game. You got to play, play the, the games. Game. Yep. 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 Nice team on the paper. <laughs> exactly. You can look fantastic on the paper, but what happens when your team plays and that's, that's what it all comes down to. So we're going to see how that goes. So, you know, uh, cheers to your season. I hope it is a good one. Oh, Thanks. I, I am curious, what what are you drinking tonight, Andrew? I think that is a really good segue into one, what we're drinking, and two, the movie we're going to chat about. So I am drinking. I'm drinking a little a little cab, a little red wine, and the reason being is I am celebrating, and I want to do a nice little wine toast to completing this Bell and Ted trilogy. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a jellyfish. Okay, right on, man. I just happened to know one of the brewers, and they were canning beers. And he was like, these are the early ones. Some of them are a little too hoppy. Some of them aren't too full. So he brought me through cases. Nice. Is that Jeremiah? Is Jeremiah still there? Well, I don't know if we're allowed to say his name. Okay. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> but Jeremiah is still there. It could be any. It could be any employee from Pint House with the name of Jeremiah. I mean, there are there there, there are multiple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeremiah is a pretty common name. Exactly. Like John, Andrew, Luke, Jeremiah. You know, like those are like the four most common names there are. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. yeah yeah so i feel like he's my unofficial uh beer sponsor for the show now i love it we're gonna have to get him to listen and he's gonna need to be you know talk to the people at pine house so they can be our official sponsors and maybe they you know they can hook us up with a, a free case and we can say and this episode was brought to you by pine house pizza purveyors of america uh, uh, amazing pizza and delicious beer pine house pizza Go there for all your pizza and beer needs. That wasn't bad, right? Yeah. yeah. No, it wasn't bad. Uh, you could, but one thing, you're blowing up our, our spot. Then that is, it's, it makes it that much harder to get a beer. 
or you mm. gotta go that much earlier to get to the bar and get your seat. I don't think that's really a problem for you. I, if I know you, and I think I do, I'm pretty sure you've opened that place up a few times. So getting there early isn't a, a challenge for you. When Andrew says I open the place up, it's good to know. Like the game started at 10:30, so I'm there. At 10.30 watching on my phone. And then when the bar opens at 11, they let me in. So like, <laughs> it's not like I open the place up, but I, I, I do show up some days, you know, to watch the games and have a couple beers close to my house. And that has to be good right now that you live back, like down in like South Austin, you're not up in Pflugerville any longer. Right. I mean, you're close. Wait, Pflugerville. It is Pflugerville, right? It's not roll, uh, round rock. It is Pflugerville. Okay. All right. My apologies. I just want to make sure I had that correct. But yeah, like now that you're back in South Austin, that's kind of good. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it also suits your, your personality. You are, you are a South Austin kind of guy. You know, you're that, that what is it? 78704 kind of guy, right? Well, I think I'm so 78704. I don't give a shit about being 78704. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm proud to be from Pflugerville, man. 78660. <laughs> you know, but like it, I don't care what your zip code is, you know, like go out and have a good time. And if you're having a good time and we randomly meet up, you know, cause like everybody hopefully is having a good time. You, you meet them on rainy street, you know, you meet them on six street, you know, just, yeah. Oh uh, dude, rainy street. That's a whole different conversation for another time. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we are, I think we're, I think now's probably a good time to segue. And, but before we do, I do want to, and this has been a real fun, uh, chatty conversation that, you know, John and I have had, like we always do, but I do want to take a second to share some bad news. Unfortunately, a friend of the show, unfortunately has, uh, experienced a, a, a loss in his family. So I, I really don't want to, uh, go too much into it, but one of our dear, dear friends, unfortunately lost his father uh, to COVID uh, of all things. So I do want to take a second to let our friend, uh, let our friend know uh, that, that we're thinking of him and his family and to everybody else. COVID is real. And I, I can't stress this enough. Wear your masks, take care of yourself, be courteous to those that are a little bit more at risk and understand that this is very much a real thing in 2020. And um, to our friends out there uh, that are experiencing um, some unfortunate news, we're thinking of you and we love you and we hope you pull through this, uh, this difficult time. So, all right. So John, what movie are we going to talk about tonight? So we're going to talk about Bill and Ted face the music, man. Dude, it's the third film. We're here, man. We made it. We made it, dude. Indeed, we have. We have made it. So, yeah. So this is probably the most current title that I've covered to date on, on this podcast. That would make sense. The most up-to-date movie. Yeah. The, I mean, and it is probably the most, other than the like the, uh, the movie Tenet that is out right now, this is the most current movie that's available. So it's available for video on demand. It is also showing in select movie theaters, whichever movie theaters are open around the country right now. Bill and Ted Face the Music is available. Hopefully you have seen it. If not, 
that's okay. There will be spoilers in this episode, just so you know. But I think I, I think if you're going to watch this movie, you have a general idea on how this is going to go. It, it's probably going it, to – it's a buddy-buddy comedy. It's probably going to have a happy ending. So I don't think there will be too many spoilers. But there, I think there will be one, one that I, I find is a really good spoiler for this movie, but we'll get into Let's break this movie down, right? So we're talking about Bill and Ted face the music. This is the first time that Bill and Ted acting uh, portrayed by Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. This is the first time that they have appeared on camera together. It has been 20, 29 years since Bill and Ted's bogus journey. And a lot has happened to both the, the characters in the film and the actors portraying them. This movie does a really good job of laying a foundation in what has happened since the last time we saw them. At the end of Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, they defeated Denomalous and they performed at the Battle of the Bands. And we think everything is going to be wonderful. You know, uh, they, they're going to unite the world. Everything is fantastic. Well, we find out immediately that wasn't the case. They did achieve success. But their their success was very fleeting. You know, they they went from being from selling out uh, the the Grand Canyon in 1995 to playing at a, a restaurant for two dollar taco night in front of 40 people, and their band broke up. Uh, they sued their bass player. Uh, they had a restraining order against him. And their, their CDs went from new releases into the 99-cent bin. So, unfortunately, Wild Stallions, Bill and Ted, Logan and Preston, they did not achieve that level of success that, that, uh, that we thought that they would have. And this movie picks up in 2020 at the, at the wedding of Deacon. You remember Deacon. That would be Ted's younger brother. So, Deacon is getting married. So, yay, congrats to Deacon. And who would Deacon be getting married to, John? Missy. That's right. Deacon. Uh, from, yeah. Uh, just Missy, yeah. He, to Bill's dad, to Ted's dad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, Missy. Absolutely right. So we, we, we find ourselves at the wedding of Missy and Deacon. And... This movie maintains that great dialogue of Bill and Ted breaking down Missy in their relation uh, relationship to everybody. They, they they mention how they both asked her to prom, how uh, she was married to Bill's dad, then to Ted's dad, Ted's dad, and there's this really great line of dialogue that I just wanted to like reference. But when Bill and Ted are like presiding over before they start performing, because of course they're going to perform a song at this wedding. This happy event made Deacon his own father-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> you went from babysitter to being asked to the prom, to Bill's mom, to Ted's dad, to Deacon's wife. <laughs> so this happy event made Deacon his own father-in-law, Ted his own uncle, making my dad his own son. And uh, it's just so good. <laughs> One just, thing I appreciated from the scene was there's a, uh, if you know the guy's name, you can remind me of Ted's dad's name. I don't remember the actor's name. There's a look whenever like they go out to dance and he goes, 
<laughs> but I feel like it's the same look Bill gave in the second movie intro. Whenever Te- or Tez's dad and uh, Missy walked by, <laughs> Bill's dad was just like, yeah, it looked a little bit sadder. You know, he hadn't been shaved. He's like, ugh. Yeah. But I thought it was the same kind of look. Yeah, no, good call out. Good call out. It was very much the same look. And as you were talking, I pulled up how Landon Jr. is the name of of um, of Ted's father. Chief Logan at this point uh, in the film. How? I mean, San Dimas has been nice. Like he was Chief Logan back in the day, like a 30 year career as a law enforcement officer. Like I, I hope things are going well. I mean, the, the people are married in a nice venue. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, it's the town of Bill and Ted, though, right? I mean, so everybody just needs to party on and be excellent to each other. So I imagine the crime rate in San Dimas is probably lower than that in, like, a New York City or a Chicago or in Atlanta. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But from there, we go into couple, and I'm going to kind of go around, and I'm not really, I don't really have too much interest in, last time we really, really did, like, a whole film walkthrough, This one will be more of like a plot synopsis. And I know I've been kind of like rambling on, but a brief synopsis of what the movie is overall about. And then I want to get into, I have a ton of questions I want to ask you tonight, John. So essentially we find out that as stated before, Bill and Ted are not the world beaters that we thought they were going to be. They in fact have not amassed to anything other than the fact that they have got two incredible children. We've got Billy and Thea. That's one thing I realized I was wrong about. Like in the last episode, I had, I mentioned I hadn't seen the film. I was like, oh, they got Bill and Ted a couple boys. Surprise alert. Spoiler alert. The, the seemingly two sons that we thought they had at the end of Bill and Ted's bogus journey are in fact two daughters. Even though I believe they were referenced as little Bill and little Ted at the Battle of the Bands, right? But There's no gender on that. There is no gender on that. And with the power of exposition, uh, Ted's father references just that fact that remember when they were kids and you called them little Bill and little Ted? Boom. Just how a simple line of dialogue can just cut away any like holes in your story. That's great acting and great was script writing. Script writing. You know, and- let's just let's just update people. Right. Because I guess that's the thing at the beginning of the film. Like the girls start out talking. And it's like, how do we update people on 20 years? Mm-hmm. Like for the people, I imagine they thought people were going to go into the movie theaters and watch it. But for the people who hadn't seen Bill and Ted's, how are those people going to be able to be caught up? Yeah, I, I, I think the movie does a great job, and it's going to come up in the one of the questions I have for you later on. But I think this movie tackles exposition really well, and I'll, I'll bring it – You know, I'll ask you the question later on. But me personally, I think the movie does a good job satisfying fans of the series and – putting it in a framework that even if you hadn't seen a Bill and Ted film, you could go into this movie and not feel completely lost. I think the, yeah. the first 15 minutes, they, they set the stakes. You know a little bit about who these characters are and where, you know, where they were and where these characters are and what they did. And you're able to go, go along for this 90-minute film. This movie, I don't think, is going to be challenging so listen listener if you've never seen bill and ted excellent adventure or bogus journey you can still watch face the music 
and come out okay. And I quite frankly believe you'll end up wanting to watch the first two because it just completes the whole the whole package. But I, I would I would agree. Yeah, thank you, John. That's what I want. I just want that affirmation that that I got my boy, you know, my corner on this one. <laughs> so yeah, I got you, man. All right. So the wedding ends and Bill and Ted, oh, uh, they, they go to a couple's therapy. So not only is Bill and Ted's music career not really going anywhere, but their marriages are kind of stuck. The princesses want a little bit more independence within their own relationship. They, when they go to a couple's therapy, they, they assume it's going to be just the two of them, not all four of them. So it, it shouldn't be Bill and his wife and Ted and his wife, or rather it should be Bill and his wife and Ted and his wife, not Bill and Ted and both of their wives together in one room. So you've got some marital difficulties going on. Times are hard, right? Bill and Ted are approaching their fifties. You know, they're 48, 49 years old in this. So they're, they're, they're older. They're, they haven't united anybody and their marriages are in trouble. And wouldn't you know it, they are visited by Rufus's daughter that say, Hey, we need you to come into the future. Cause we need to have a chat. I was just really, I guess, happy that they chose a comedian to play the role of the daughter of Rufus. Yeah, I think so. Christian Shaw plays Rufus's daughter in the film. So a uh, really good stand-up comedian. And you would, uh, for the listeners, you would probably recognize her from a ton of things. I usually go back to Flight of the Concords, but she's been in many, many things. And so Bill and Ted go into the future and we find out that today's the day. They need to get their shit together because they need to have a song that is going to unite the world. And we find out a little bit more about space and time in this one, that the past is the past, the future is the future, and the present is the present, but they're all happening simultaneously. I was just thinking about how in film, when you go to Back to the Future, it's one-dimensional. It's like forward or back. Right. But now it's multiverse. Exactly. Like it, it, yeah, no, 100%. So, so essentially, even though what is affecting – everybody in the present it's also affecting people in the future and because they have they've done certain things you are seeing that the entire space time continuum i'm using a back to the future phrase in this but you're you're seeing jesus uh crossing the potomac not george washington and you're and you're seeing uh kid cuddy um at the at the last supper and you're seeing babe ruth doing something so you're you're mixing and you're melding people from different times. And like I said, the whole space time continuum is out of whack. It's the end of the world. Everything is ending and, and it's on Bill and Ted essentially to, to fix it. Right. Uh, yeah. It's, I like to think that those characters are getting warped through history because those characters actually played a bigger role in history. Sure. So, so therefore, if time's going to collapse on itself, it's like you go on the hinges. Well, people think about B.A. Bruce still. People think about Jesus still. So right. I, that that's my explanation for the reason why those individuals are flipping through time. Sure. Yeah, good call out. Good call out. So we were, were in the future, and the the supreme leaders are essentially telling Bill and Ted that they need to – fix everything and they need to create this song and this song is going to transcend space and time and unify everybody small problem bill and ted 
haven't created the song. They don't, they, they, they don't know what this song is. They don't have, they, they rolled out a song at a wedding and it was pure trash and they, they did go ahead. Let's talk about the song. Okay. So what they're trying to do is make a song that brings everybody together. Right. So, so there are multiple instruments being used. Like he brought Ted, brought in the bagpipes thank you very much Ted. (laughs) (laughs) you know but he's got the the horn you know so they are trying their best to fuse multi-cultures together absolutely and and so i i think the song and i i I really love that deacon It was just down to get like let's just keep dancing let's just keep going you know so like there was a lot of support coming from his family members, which I, I really appreciated. Uh, but it, yeah, it wasn't the greatest song, but what they're trying to do is show that Bill and Ted are working on throwing multicultural uh, elements of songs together. Absolutely. I, I completely agree. I do. I do love that scene where Deacon and Missy are are trying to dance <laughs> the song and they can't yeah. quite find yeah. the rhythm because it's all over the place. <laughs> So yeah. good. Mr. Look is like, do we do we give it up? No, let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> We're already out of here. Let's just go through it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what I what I love about that song is just how much Billy and Thea are are totally feeling it. They're the, yeah, those, they're those are their daughters and they 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 just totally they're totally feeling the music. But anyway. Should we should we well should we bring up that I guess they're the heroes of the movie? Oh, we'll get there. We'll 100% get there. That's honestly my favorite part about this whole film. And I've got a lot of feelings about that. And we're we're definitely going to cover it. Okay. So, so yeah, we... Uh, them, uh, the, the people in the future say, you need to figure this shit out. Bill and Ted are like, well, fuck, we don't have anything. So... Well, Bill- hey, I want to stop you for a quick second on in the future. Because you're going to have your questionnaire for me. So I'm going to... I would like to pencil some of mine in. What you got? So they're like, go figure out the song. And all of a sudden these guitars just swoop in. So I got questions about like, what are your favorite guitars? Do you recognize any of those guitars? And also this is a bigger, broader one, but like in the matrix that happens, and it's like, what are some of your favorite f- movie films where, like, you walk into a room of guns or swords <laughs> or guitars? And so that's that's kind of what I'm kind of curious about. Because I'm just going to tell you, off kind of top of my head whenever I was thinking about this, I thought about the guitars from this. I thought about the Terminator 2 scene when they walk downstairs and they get the Gatling gun. I thought about the Matrix. And I also thought about Willow and Matt Martigan is like ready to give up. And he walks into that room and he's just like, Oh, and the next thing you see is like, Willow, load the catapult. <laughs> you know? yep. But he's like decked out. So I, that's just kind of a, a random question for you is like, uh, what are some of your favorite, like geared up rooms? Oh shit. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna need to, marinate on that one give me some time and be, hopefully before this podcast ends maybe while you're 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 chatting for a couple seconds i'll i'll be able to do a few seconds and think of anything i don't have anything prepared yeah. for that right now but what i will say to answer the first question when it comes to guitars it, it it's it's pretty it's pretty simple for me i love a les paul guitar les paul guitars are 
my favorite. I had a knockoff. My very first guitar was a Les Paul a knockoff. Loved it. It's how I learned how to uh, play guitar. It was a uh, a white Les Paul guitar. Beautiful, gorgeous. I got it when I was 14 years old. And I had to teach myself how to play right-handed being uh, I'm a left-handed, you know, individual. And when I first picked up the guitar, I was holding it upside down and the, the strings were all out of whack. So I trained myself how to play right-handed. Although what I should have just, what I should have just done is restrung the guitar like Jimi Hendrix and Kurt Cobain did, you know, they would just play a right-handed guitar upside down, but I retrained myself to play right-handed. Now I can't play left-handed at all, but anyway, uh, less, uh, less Paul guitars, and classic like Fender guitars, whether it's a Telecaster or a Stratocaster, like those classic Fender guitars. I have a, and Mustangs, um, I have a classic Jagstang. It was designed by Kurt Cobain. I'm pretty sure I've talked about it on this podcast. I don't know if I've talked about it with you, but I've got a Seafoam Green a Fender Jagstang, which was designed by Kurt Cobain. And it one, it's beautiful. And two, it was designed by Kurt Cobain. Uh, prior to his death, he only played played a version of it like once or twice before you know he left this earth. But th- those are my type of guitars. I'm not much for like that those flying V guitars, which you see a lot in like metal. Not really my 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 style, but there's certainly a place for them. I like all guitars. I'll, I'll just end it that way. I like all guitars. I mean, those flying V ones definitely cool. And I think it kind of brings you around to like the time when the movie came out and how those were cool looking guitars. Yeah, definitely. But uh, interesting enough, when Ted and Bill get back to the uh, after after the therapy, they go back home before they fly off into the future. But uh, Ted contemplates he took his guitar, his Les Paul, to the uh, pawn shop. You got any idea what they offered him? I have no idea. No idea whatsoever. How much would you pay for a Les Paul? Well, it depends on the the year of it. It depends. I mean, there's okay. so many. And well, it depends it, it on was, like the- it, it was six it was sixty four hundred. Okay. Yeah, I mean it could be sixty four hundred. Yeah, I mean you can get I mean, it just depends on so many variables. And I don't really want to get too nerdy in guitars, but it there are so many things that can bring the price of a guitar up and you know just depending on the the sound quality that you're going to find from it but yeah like my my knockoff i think was like a $500 guitar which was in 1994 was still still a lot of money you know that that even yes. that you know that that knockoff that you know and i got it for christmas but uh i keep saying i got it my mother bought it for me for like uh, my 14th like christmas of 1993 Maybe it was 92. I might've been 13. I don't know. 92 or 93. It was around the time that I, yeah, I was in love with Bill and Ted's bogus journey and I wanted to play a guitar. Um, I mentioned the last episode, uh, the band Faith No More. Yeah. They, they were uh, James Martin. I, I thought he was a badass, and I'm like, I want to do that. I want to be a, I want to be a solo guitarist. But no, uh, uh-uh, can't I can't do that shit. I'm more of a rhythm guitarist. I'm more I'm more like your John Lennon, not your George Harrison. For for the for the non uh, musically inclined, George Harrison was the lead guitarist of the Beatles, not John Lennon. John Lennon was the rhythm guitarist. But anyway, yeah, John Lennon. I always picture you more as a Johnny Lawrence. Oh shit! 
Now we're talking Cobra Kai. And dude, I've got, I've got so much love for uh, Billy Zapka, William Zapka. I'm, I'm thrilled that he has found like a new like resurgence with the Cobra Kai TV show and younger audiences are able to see this beautiful, beautiful blonde man. <laughs> he, I, I, I loved him in just one of the guys. I loved him in back to school karate kid. And he always played that quintessential evil blonde, which was such a huge trope in the 1980s. Like the evil blonde was like the most common, like high school, like trope that you would find. And yeah, when they say blondes have all the fun, they mean like I've never heard it directed towards guys. Right. Yeah. I don't know why, but like y'all guys are having a great time. Y'all just kicking ass and taking names. Yeah, exactly. Like you had Billy Zapka, right? He was always an asshole in the eighties. And then you had James Spader who was always a dickhead in the eighties, right? He didn't become a, a good guy really until he started to lose his hair. You know? Stargate. <laughs> Stargate. There you go. Yeah. He was a good guy in Stargate, <laughs> but yeah, like when he was, when he was a teenager, always a villain. And then even your other eighties teen movies, generally speaking, if there was an asshole, it was portrayed by a blonde uh, male in that film. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess like the contrast to that would be like, think about Robert Downey Jr. and less than zero. Like he's kind of the guy is following it. You're supposed to be sympathetic, but he's a, a dark haired. He's got dark features. Yeah, and who's the guy that hooks him up with the drugs, though, in Lessons? James Spader. It's James Spader. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's the bad guy in California, the guys with the blonde hair. I, I feel there's a podcast in there. Maybe it's only one for just me where I break down, like, Hollywood tropes and – just have a nice 30 minute breakdown of some of my favorite like tropes and, and, and analyze some of those movies. I think there, there might be a podcast in there for uh, in between episodes. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll just invite John and we'll break the shit down. I think there's definitely a deep dive into that. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see. We'll see. Maybe we'll see. We'll bring on some of the other guests from your other shows. Yeah. Uh, All right. Maybe they, they call him Fizzell. <laughs> Is that how you pronounce it? Is it this Fisal? So I gave him shit on on his episode when I brought him over. I I, I called him Colin Fissel. I'm like, is that correct? And he's like, no, you never get it right. I'm like, I always get it right. I just like to fuck with you. Yeah, it's just, you know? yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> right. it's, it's a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So again, Bill and Ted. Um I don't know where we were, but just to bring it all bring it on home. The world is going to end if they don't come up with a song. They can't come up with a song. So they come up with that that perfect plan of, well, shit, let's go to the future when we have written the song. So Bill and yep. Ted go on their journey into the future at different points in time, meeting up with Bill and Ted into the future, figuring out, well, maybe they had written a song by then. Or maybe – and in two years, they hadn't figured it out. In five years, they hadn't figured it out. In ten years, they hadn't figured it out. Finally, at their end of life, they they finally get the recording where Bill and Ted at their at their deathbed, uh, which is one of my favorite scenes in this movie, is uh, 
Ted talking to Ted about how he, he feels like he never really knew him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's cause I never really knew myself. <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That, that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's so good. The, the dialogue in this movie, the, it's a simple, simple movie, but it's a really, really smart movie. And I've got a lot of other thoughts that we'll get into uh, later on. I keep saying later on, like, you know, I mean, we've been rambling on for over a half hour. I don't know where this, where this podcast is going to end up. This might be one of the longer ones, but that's okay. I've got a lot of, a lot of, a lot of emotions on this movie. And I feel that we're only just now starting to scratch the surface and get into it. But where in the original Bill and Ted, we didn't really have a true force of antagonism other than, than time running out of time. In the second one, you know, we had Denomalous and we had the evil robot S's and to a lesser extent, you had death. This one is kind of, kind of like the first one, but with like hints of the second one. The villain in this movie, again, is time. Running out of time is very much the, your, your central anta- forces of antagonism in this movie. But we do have kind of a villain. She's not a true vil- villain and the robot she creates isn't a real true villain, but Rufus's wife, uh, and by the way, RIP, obviously, Rufus was not able to be in this movie because the actor was portrayed by George Carlin, and George Carlin died many years ago. I do like the the nod that they gave by having a little hologram of George Carlin in this movie, so that, w- that was sweet that they had a nice moment for that. I was curious on uh, just if you would enjoy something along that, those lines or not. I think it was good. Like, I think that's part of the ketchup. And I thought it was good. I, I thought it was tastefully done. It didn't it, it didn't stand out as um, disruptive. It didn't take me out of the movie I was watching. It, it, if anything, it was just a moment of, like, nostalgia, kind of like, ah, R.I.P., you know, uh, George Carlin, you know, we, we love you and we miss you. You know, it, it was nice. Also, I guess this would be one of my film-going questions. It's like, when you're making a film, when do you set up things because like it, it is an obvious setup to the escape plan like I think you watch it the first time when they're walking up there it's like alright that's how they're going to get out of there I, I think I think it worked really well I mean putting him in the the phone booth is just a good is a um, callback it, it, well it's a good beat uh, it's a good beat because of the fact that I mean they could have had just Rufus hologram somewhere chatting you know like hey you know uh greetings you know whatever and you see rufus but by putting him in the phone booth it's a good beat of all right we're gonna how we're gonna go from this scene to the next scene as you just definitely stated and when you write a screenplay you are you're telling a story but you need a series of beats what is going to move the plot forward from this scene to this scene to this scene to this scene like your average 2 hour movie it's 120 minutes you're going to have at least at least 60 beats and you can watch that if you watch any movie you know that every minute and a half to 2 minutes there's something that is happening in the movie to move to to move the story forward the best classic example that i like to use is star wars and it's done well. It's done horribly in the prequels, which will John and I, I'm sure, will cover at a later date. But um, it, it's all what we call like the the, the hero's journey, and you're, you're following your your hero as he as he makes goes through his trials. But when you do it within a film, 
you only have so many time, you only have so many minutes to do it. You have only 90 minutes to two hours to execute it. So it's on a two hour movie, you're looking at one beat per two pages. So you're having one thing that is moving your plot forward. So seeing that little phone booth, it's like, all right, hold on to that. Cause that is probably going to be something that we're going to use to transition from this scene to the next scene. And so anyway, that just a little, uh, I don't know if that completely answers your question, John, but I think that kind of touches base with what you were saying from a, from a story perspective. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Took a lot. Had some other questions, but let's let's move on forward. Let's, let's keep on going. We're, let's keep <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah. We're not even talking about the phone booth the whole time. <laughs> By the way, it's 20 cents to make a call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyways, let's move on forward. So um, going back to the antagonism, Rufus's wife creates a, a robot to find Bill and Ted because they believe that the prophecy isn't that Bill and Ted are going to write a song that – transcends time and finds that balance. But there are some that believe that the death of Bill and Ted is what's going to find that balance. So they create this robot that is a time traveling robot that will find Bill and Ted and then kill them. So that is kind of the antagonism. Anyway, Bill and Ted, they go through their journey. They go into the, they go into the future all the while with all this chaos, Bill and Ted's daughters want to help out their fathers and they know that they, they, they just need to help their father, you know, their father's figured out. So they're going to assemble a band for, for Bill and Ted. So Bill and Ted are going into the future. Billy and Thea are going into the, are going into the past and they're, they're gathering the lights of likes of Louis Armstrong and Jimi Hendrix and um, Ling Loon and uh, Mozart and, you know, they're, they're doing that. And you know that eventually everything is going to meet up at some point. And before everything goes crazy, wouldn't you know it, they find themselves back in hell. And they're going to have to reunite with death once again. And once again, death is wonderfully portrayed by William Sadler, who was brought back. And I thought he crushed it yet again. What are your thoughts? A lot, <laughs> but not like we like he came back again in time. People become better at what they do. Mm-hmm. He was a better reaper than he was 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And we should not be surprised. Right. You know, but like in a way I want to give him his respect. They're like, yeah, he was amazing. One of the funniest things I thought was he was playing hopscotch against himself and cheating. <laughs> and Do you know the other game we was playing? Uh, tetherball. Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I guess they're in hell. They meet death. Uh, they have to have a reconciliation. In a way, I think a lot of the emotional parts of this film start at this point. I would agree. The, there's the, the forgiveness. There's the talking it out. I'm going to give a lot away, but like there's the part within the band plan where Rufus's daughter is talking to Rufus's mom and Rufus's mom said, your father would be so proud of you. And that line, like um, that hit hard. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, I think maybe, I think that's really what's more important than just kind of tracing this movie from one scene to the next is some of the, 
the overriding themes in this film and family and parenting and being a child, like all of those are really what this movie is all about. And yes, and forgiveness, but there, this movie does tackle some really, really good shit. And it's done in a way that, I mean, it will, it's a happy ending. So it's, it's a positive. And honestly, let me, let me be real. 2020 has been a trailer fucking fire of a year, you know, like, like a dumpster fire of a year, a movie like Bill and Ted face the music is probably the right, like right level of sincerity and innocence that maybe um, that, that we need right now there. It's such a feel fucking good movie. And some of the themes in this movie, I feel like, we can all relate to and redemption is another, I feel like another theme that goes on in the movie, but everybody in this movie has that moment. Uh, Ted's father has that moment uh, with, with Ted where he finally, you know, the first, first movie he wanted to send him off to, uh, you know, uh, military school. Second movie, he, he wanted to do the same thing. Never really believed in his son. This one, it started that same way. And he's like, hey, you guys need to get real jobs. You didn't travel through time. You didn't go through heaven and hell. Look at your daughters. Your daughters are now just living your same, like your same futures. And it's time to fix your shit. And, you know, they, they have their moment where finally, you know, Ted's father believes in him. It's a touching thing, and I feel that any person that's ever been a child, if if you've ever had a tumultuous relationship with your parents, wanted that type of that that moment where your 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 parent did the old you know I'm proud of you thing. And I, I think I think the movie I think the movie handles that really well. I think uh, Kelly and Rufus's wife uh, they they have a nice moment in there, and the best though and. I, I do you object to getting to the the fundamental spoiler of the movie? No, I don't mind. No, okay. I, I'm happy to. You know, let's go. Okay. So what what's great about this movie, and I'll talk about it in a per, on a personal level here momentarily, but throughout this entire trilogy, we have been told that Bill and Ted are going to be the unifying power. They're they're going to be what brings everybody together in harmony, you know, in space and time, they're going, their music is going to change the world. Well, we find out that it's not Bill and Ted, it's their daughters. It's their daughters that um, are going to be responsible. It's Bill and Ted that are there to support their children, accomplish this insurmountable like task. And, and it's cool. And it, and it's, and it's done in a really, really great way. I feel that the two, the, uh, the two actresses, and I'm, and I'm saying actresses because of the fact that uh, for the listeners, the, the person that plays uh, Thea, I don't really know how to describe it other than she, uh, the actress is non-binary. She does, they do not define themselves by either male or female. Okay, so you want to pay her proper respects as you should and you, you don't want to define her in a class if she's right. not willing to. I right. understand. Yeah, let's... Yeah, but the um, the individual that that plays Thea, I'm sorry, I, I say uh, Thea, Billy is Bridget Lundy Payne. That uh, that's who I'm not familiar with their work, but I thought I thought they did a great job as. 
am I, am I getting this correct? Billy was Ted's daughter, and yep, he, uh, this yeah, little yeah, Bill, this yeah, little Ted. So, yeah, little reverse, yeah, little reverse. <laughs> yeah, M Night Shyamalan <laughs> back in nineteen ninety one. There's a switcheroo. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, the point that I'm trying to make is the the individuals that play both Billy and Thea are great, and I don't feel at any time that they're they're caricatures or they're really mocking Bill and Ted or they're trying to be Bill and Ted in that. I think it's, I think it's a hard role. Yeah. I, I hope you don't mind me cutting you off, but like, no, uh, like they're supposed to be representations of Bill and Ted. So they have a kind of a, a standard script they're trying to go with to, to be similar to them. Coding. I think one of them's wearing a red shirt. One of them was wearing a blue shirt. Same right. as, you know, so it's like, it, they're actresses who have to work with in a confine of we got to be similar to these guys, but we also have to be ourselves. So um, I guess um, what I would just say is like the shows is for me, the first show really dealt with like history. The second one really dealt with like death. And the third one to me does with family. Yeah, absolutely. And, to me, the girls really are part a big part of that, and yep. I I guess in a way with uh, with Ted, like you still have in this show his his dad, his brother, but his daughter, and there's I, I just like the synergy between them. Without a doubt, it, it's it it's really cool, and there there's so many things that like where my mind goes, and I, I don't know if if I'm alone here, but that that whole idea of your your next generation going beyond whatever whatever you were able to do so um advancing upon your predecessors or your your the people that brought you into this world being able to take that next step like within my own within my own family like i was the first person to go to college and graduate college and that that's cool you know i i come from a working class family and our story doesn't end with me, you know, it's now, well, what, you know, what is Elliot able to do and what am I able to help her achieve along her way? So it's that whole idea of your story is never written with just yourself. It's, it's what do, what do your next gen, what are, what are the, those next generations able to accomplish? And as a parent, it was very like touching when it was like, Oh, this isn't about me. Well, if, if it's about me, it, my me is about supporting you accomplish a, a task greater than what I can accomplish. And that that just hit me right in the feels because of the fact that that's that's all I want is, you know, whatever I accomplish, I want my daughter to accomplish infinitely more. And so I, I just I that's kind of like the emotional response that I have now as a father watching this. But then also, I still have a relationship as being a child by having the parent talk to, I mean, shit, I've grown up with Bill and Ted, right? I mean, these are characters that in the movie, they're 48 and 49 years old, respectively, you know, around that age. I'm 41, you know, I mean, these are people that really, for lack of a better term, like I said, I, I, I grew up with. So seeing... Um, so I can identify with our protagonists from being a child, but then also relate to them as parents. And I, I think the movie handles it very delicately and very like sincerely in a way that is extremely attractive and, and just fun to watch on camera cinematically. Yeah. 
I thought it was fantastic. I thought, I guess in a way, like Bill and Ted, we thought were going to be these people who propose peace and prosperity. And, and so like, who were their disciples? Well, the children, like it was their daughters who carried on the journey in that, mm-hmm. that speech and that talk. Uh, so that's a part where I'm going to segue into, if you know anybody who is a good influence in life, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, uh, Confucius, I don't know, man. People who are down for peace, read their literature, find out the way they live. And uh, that's uh, what I would say about that. Cool. I want to transition into asking a few questions for you. So, okay. Yeah. So real, I mean, this is going to be kind of like the the easy, the easy part. Well, time out, time out. I would like your answer of what's your coolest like Zoom room, like your uh, your coolest. Like I walked into this gun room scene. I don't think you ever answered that question. Yeah. Um. If I were to just simply throw one out there, just because I have a hard time thinking. Yeah. Of, if I have, a, I have a hard time thinking of one better. But it seems so obvious, but I'm going to go with the matrix. It's cool. It's super cool, man. Yeah. And, and I'll probably have one after this podcast. And so I'm like, fuck, I should have said that. Yeah. yeah. That was the room. Well, yeah. Like I said, like when we'll like this parts for like, like when Falconer walks in to like, I guess like the armory and he's just like, he sees all the swords on the wall. Like that's a cool scene, man. There's, there's scenes in movies where they give you hope, you know, it's like one against a hunter and, and I guess in a way like, uh, yeah, that was Neo at the matrix. Uh, but what, I guess in a way it wasn't this because <laughs> they were like, Hey, nice guitars. We're out. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say there's a really good shot like that in the movie Hot Fuzz, but I can't. I just know that movie has really like some of the best editing, yeah. like fantastic editing, but I can't remember if it was like. Sure. If, yeah. So oh, yeah, you get the yeah. music though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I think, I think it would do. All right. Question. So real simple question. So we'll just see where the conversation goes from here. You know, I assume that you like this movie, but what are some things or what is one thing about this movie that that you like what was one thing about this movie that i like besides keanu reeves being in it uh i like the way that they color-coded the father and daughter red blue like i I like i guess the themes of colors within the movie that's a really good call out that's a really good call out i like that uh for me it's this total lack of cynicism in the movie there the movie isn't cynical in any capacity it's, it's very sin, uh, very sincere it's very optimistic and it's just a very it, it's just a it's a wholesome movie last episode we had you know a, a serious conversation about some language that was used in this movie this movie has a different take completely you know and this movie feels very like inclusive to everybody. And I, I, I do like that. Um, and again, especially with the way that this year has gone, Bill and Ted face the music is the perfect type of antidote to all the fucking craziness that we have experienced this year. You want to feel good. Watch this movie. Yeah. Well, I also think in a way like they reach out, they travel across time. Well, Hey, you can travel across the internet, you know, you can pick up a zoom call or whatever. Like, if you feel like you're stuck at home, 
reach out. Like there, there are multiple ways. So uh, I think there are a lot of themes within this movie. Yep. Do you feel this was a satisfying conclusion to the trilogy? Yes. I, I'll be firm. I will be firm on that. Um, stuff because like, I guess in a way they left it open with the daughters, but maybe I'm just getting old, but like, I really enjoyed it. And this is, this is the journey. I, th- I think they took a lot of the same concepts from the first two films and put them within this film, but then they like bundled it up. Yeah. Let's talk about why, because I agree with you that this movie works. Um, I think this movie works beautifully why a movie like this can work from a perspective of revisiting a franchise after an extended period where movies say like follow-ups to dumb and dumber or follow-ups to um, what's another comedic uh, sequel like ace ventura or ghostbusters why why can like this comedy sequel work and those maybe not work as well? I understand the question. I think there are different scenarios on each of them. Okay. So let's uh, let's go from the beginning. Um, what was the first one? Which movie? So I, I referenced this one, but the, the idea is comedy sequels. Like this one, this seemingly worked, but Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters, Anchorman. Historically, okay. I got you. Historically, comedy sequels don't work well. Hell, part two of this series wasn't necessarily as revered. It's Um, not a comedy. (laughs) 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 Yeah, uh, it it is a good question. We talked about in the last episode about sequels, living up to the villain or not. Uh, I guess in a way, like, I got a little lost on Ace Ventura because, like, when I was a child, Ace Ventura came out, I was like, oh, that's so hilarious. You saved the raccoon. You know, <laughs> I, I want it's a good movie. Let's just let's just put it up to that. It's got good content. But I think there's a bigger part of had this come out two years ago when like Marvel movies are coming out, nobody would have watched it. Mm-hmm. There, there there is a part of availability. Okay. And people wanted to take time. So I, I, I think that's one of those things where uh, it's just uh, now now was a good time now is a good time I'm sure the TV people are so pissed because people aren't going to the movies but I, I think this is a slow build movie and it allows the environment we're living in today allows it to build slow okay I, I, I can respect that now we we touched on it loosely earlier but do you feel that you need to be a a fan of the first two movies to enjoy this one. Yes. I have a roommate and he, he tried to watch it recently and I know he's seen the movies, but whatever, you know, like he, he wasn't able to pick up where they left off. So I would say you should be a fan if you're going to enjoy this movie. You know what Bill and Ted's band name is, right? Yes. It's Wild Stallions. Yeah, I know. Did you, you want me tell- to... Did you want to ask that again and me like say it like, wow, well, no, okay. no, no. What I want you to is tell me some of your favorite band names from movies. Um, oh, it, well, my one, I don't even know if it's a real band. It's probably a real band, but the, 
You're not going to bring up the Lone Rangers, are you? Uh, not yet, but I was going to bring up the Lone Rangers. <laughs> so there are a couple. There, are, So I've got a few. All right. Um, a, a couple of them are from Wayne's World. So I've got. Crucial Todd. <laughs> <Crucial Taunt>, yes. <laughs> and the shitty Beatles. I think. Ah, <laughs> not just a clever name. <laughs> Uh, another good one was from High Fidelity, the movie, not the TV show. Although I did it thoroughly enjoy the TV show. RIP to that show. It got unfairly canceled way too soon. But anyway, the movie, I do love Jack Black's band name, which was Kathleen Turner Overdrive. I thought that was a good one. I am a huge fan of Airheads. So obviously, The Lone Rangers is a great on screen band. Um, who else? I know I'm probably forgetting somebody. Did anybody order a love burger? <laughs> love burger, yes. Oh shit, that is like one of my all-time favorite '90s movies too. <laughs> I and we talked about uh, can't hardly wait for unfortunate reasons last week, but I do love me some can't hardly wait. And by the way, pissed me off because I want to say it was the first episode you dropped a. Uh, um, I want to say it was you, like a picture me rolling, like reference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that was it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like asshole. Yeah. That's like no, that's like she, my reference. Seth Green, yeah, yeah. She's Seth yeah. Green. Yearbook. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I've got that like uh like on my I don't know if it's like my Facebook bio or like my Instagram bio, but like when you put like a bio on your like social media profile, that is my my bio. It says picture me rolling, Tupac. But then also Kenny Fisher. So it goes like, picture me yeah. like, Kenny Fisher. <laughs> it was, yeah, Kenny Fisher recording two. Yeah. But now we were talking about driving my truck home. <laughs> yeah, picture me rolling. <laughs> that's right. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, th- that's what I've got. That's what I've got. I know I could probably come up with some others. Uh, I got the O'Neaters. Oh, that's right. The Wonders. Yeah. The O'Neaters. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's kind of one of the only other ones. That um, thing you do, by the way. Spinal Tap. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> what I what I think is Spinal Tap, I think of their album cover, uh, their album covers and like their album titles where one was called like Smell the Glove. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Spinal Tap. I don't know the last time you've watched that movie, but... Every like five years is a good time to revisit that movie because it is so funny. I can never get enough of Spinal Tap. What was the one from Almost Famous? What was the name of that band? Oh, um, yeah the 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 name of the band in Almost Famous is Stillwater. Stillwater, yeah. Andrew, in the movie Little Bill and Little Ted, were able to formulate a band. If you could formulate a band, who would be the musicians? Oh, like, like this is a hard question. I mean, come on. Uh, I already have my band figured out. All right. So, well, the, the key, the key components to it. So singing, I'm going to be using David Bowie because that makes the most sense. Period. I mean, that, 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 that's just simple. And for a lead guitarist, I'm going to have Prince. For rhythm guitarist, I'm going to have Kurt Cobain. For a bass player, this is where it gets tricky because there are a ton of options out there and people will be like, oh, do Flea or oh, do Les Claypool. 
oh, do Sting. I mean, they're all recognizable bass players, but I'm going to go completely crazy. And I don't know the name of the guy, but the bass player for the band Tool. I'm going to go with the bass player from Tool because I think that dude is sick and can do some like really tasty licks. And for a drummer, I'm going to go Stuart Copeland from The Police. Nice. Pretty solid. Well, I was one of those guys who, after the last podcast, was thinking, like, bass player-wise, there's Flea. But it's like, Les Claypool, he he was so good, he couldn't get into Metallica. Yeah. Les Claypool, believe it or not, is my new bass player. What about Death, man? He he was notorious for his 40-minute like bass solos. Yeah, but he was the band, man. <laughs> like, they sucked. They, I am Violent Stallions. Yeah. <laughs> we probably haven't talked enough about Death on this episode. No, no. And I, I feel we, we talked a lot about him in the last one, which is why he's kind of gotten overlooked. I feel really bad that we haven't talked about Dennis Caleb McCoy, who fucking kills <laughs> this movie, man. Well, he, he, here's my question is, did he steal the movie? Like, you know that term, like, he stole the film. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he did. I don't think he did. But he was uh, very funny. It, it, it's a weird thing to say because I, I can make that argument that I feel that everybody steals the movie. I feel that the this movie was so well written and so well directed that every character had a moment where they shined in the film. And yeah. shit, even like the the couple's um, therapist, I think it was fantastic in like her, yeah. her like okay. one minute. Yeah. And it, it wasn't just like her, her dialogue wasn't just filler. The actress that played her crushed it and the lines that she was given to work with were really good. Ted's father had a lot more to work with in this movie than he did in the previous ones. And I, I, I think... I think everybody had a, a great role. It was just fun to watch a, a a killer robot with like crippling anxiety and insecurities, which was really really funny. Uh, that that suffered from enormous guilt <laughs> from lasering everybody, and then he drops. He's he's not just a robot. He's like I I have a name. It's Dennis. Dennis. Dennis McCoy. Dennis McCoy. And it's like Dennis Caleb. He just kept on. He just kept on. um, Oh, and he was just so good. Just. I think he's a build on on the robots of of, you know episode two, (laughs) Bogus Journey. I guess. Oh yeah, like episode two. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it made me think like whenever they fly to the future of San Dimas, like that's that's probably the best future they ever flown to. Like that's a. I guess maybe maybe one day you might get bored of walking out and seeing the clouds or like seeing those beautiful skies, but it's probably the most picturesque San Dimas of any yeah. of the films. Yeah. Well, this movie had a substantially larger budget than the other ones, right? I mean, I think what, the, twelve million dollars. <laughs> I think this one had like a. I think this one had like a twenty million dollar budget. But now we're in 2020. So what? what is that? What, what really sucks is we're not going to know if this movie would have been a success because of COVID. You know, uh, the movie has done well on video on demand. And the movie has done decent in a limited theatrical uh, run. But I think to date, the movie has only grossed around $4 million in the box office. 
But again, there's really no box office to speak of. And it's yeah, really there's hard. There's Amazon Prime. There's other filters. Yeah. Um, but it makes me, you say it costs $20 million to make this movie. Mm-hmm. I believe that's what you said it costs to make Back, Back to, to the, the Future. Future. Yeah. 1985. Well, no, it shows, again, just the the production value that having a name like Spielberg associated with it, Back to the Future was a Spielberg movie. This movie was produced by, we don't know. Shit, dude, um, shout out to Orion getting uh, getting the recognition at the beginning of this movie, right? Uh, honestly, absolutely. Thank you for bringing it back. Because when it starts, it's like, you get the circle? Absolutely, man. That was nostalgic. Yeah, it was fun seeing Orion again because Orion went through a bankruptcy in the early, shortly after Bogus Journey, Orion went through bankruptcy. And it's a company that still has produced films, but it wasn't like they used to be. Orion was fucking everywhere. Orion was a big company before they before they went through bankruptcy and then got out bought out by like MGM. It, it was cool. It was cool that this movie I feel like I haven't seen the intro in movies and ten years. Yeah. I guess I probably have. You probably haven't. Out of curiosity, who are the top three most wealthiest studios yeah it's tough to say because of the fact that like how they're they're broken down now right so sony disney um maybe warner brothers apple well i mean now and that's just it that's where we're at in 2020 where things have changed because of the fact that apple but shit uh amazon is bigger than all of them right i mean they've got the wealthiest guy in the world that has that has amazon and amazon creates its own content now so but when you think of for the longest time your 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 major studios were warner brothers and mgm you know or uh universal universal is another one and now everything Yeah, well, Columbia TriStar were more like subsidiaries of other like larger studios. But but yeah, I mean, when you think of like intros, it's crazy. Like when you go to a movie now and you're getting an intro, sometimes you see seven or eight or ten different studios associated with a movie. We just watched this film. Yeah, it's fun. Yeah, and it's like, dude, just get with the the movie. My favorite was always like Orion and – Universal and TriStar. Those yeah, are like, the the Pegasus. Yeah, the Pegasus coming out. Dude. Yeah, yeah. TriStar da, was so good. Da, 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 da. <laughs> yeah, it's just like winging it up. Uh, yeah. Paramount was always kind of cool with like the the star going, and then you've got yeah. the yeah. So I mean, they're 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 good intros, and now they're just so many. Like, you watch a movie, and they they're like seven or eight different studios attached with it. And there's probably a podcast that we can discuss at a later time. We've been rambling on forever, and I think we I think we talked a little bit about the movie. Probably not as much as I would have liked to, considering how much I enjoy the movie. But that's okay. I, I have a feeling that this is a, a movie that that I don't think our conversation ends with this. I think we'll talk about this movie. When, well, if you want to run it back, we can go through it again. 
<laughs> it's true. We we can do Bill and Ted face the music like 2.0. We can re we can like do a rewatch next year and talk about this movie all over again. But yeah. I I do want to wrap up this trilogy as a whole, and I, I feel we'll get into some more nuggets about this movie. But I want to talk about about the cast. Now, the supporting characters, I think everybody did a fantastic job. So I don't want to spend too much time talking about uh, Samara Weaving, who, uh, a.k.a. Agent Smith's niece, Hugo Weaving, uh, played played uh, Billy in this one. So the blonde uh, daughter is Hugo Weaving's niece. Uh, so Agent Smith from The Matrix, she was in it. And... But everybody was great, whether the, the actor that played Deacon, that, that's the actor Beck Bennett, who's on Saturday Night Live, the original Missy returned. We, we talked about uh, Dennis Caleb McCoy, who was played by, oh, my God, uh, Anthony Kerrigan, who for any of the viewers, if you've ever watched HBO's Barry or NBC's Gotham, you'll recognize the actor from those uh, those shows. Just another fucking incredible performance that actor is so great a plus to all the actors before i get into alex winter and keanu reeves because i feel we have got a special time that we need to allocate to both of those actors absolutely given the opportunity i want to throw in my band oh shit i am so sorry yeah please no, it's cool. Yeah, he would never cut me off. <laughs> just uh, so there's a question with like dealing with somebody like, like I kind of want Jack White in my band because it's like, oh man, he's so amazing. But there's also like an idea of like having somebody who's very like, you know, multi versus very somebody who's like a sniper. So I kind of went with Les Claypool, Mike McCreary from Pearl Jam, Keith Moon, and Chris Cornell. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that I think it's a good band. Who's singing? Chris Cornell. Oh, oh Cornell. Okay. I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure if he was just a, another guitarist. I, I didn't know. Uh, well, he can have a guitar anytime he wants to. But Fair enough. Uh, I think Chris Cornell is probably the best vocalist I've ever heard in my life. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yes. It's Adele, Chris Cornell, like one and two. I think the, the best singing voice I've ever heard is probably Freddie Mercury. Yeah, I, th- I think solid. That's a great choice. I and for my money, yeah. Like I don't know if I've ever heard a, a voice more more powerful uh, than Freddie Mercury's. And I'm not even the biggest Queen fan. I enjoy Queen, but I don't consider myself like a, a Queen you know, like Uber nerd or anything. You know, I, I enjoy the same songs that everybody else do. Well, actually, I probably enjoy a lot of their songs more than the average person. <laughs> well, well, I but, would say that, but the fans of Queen, you probably enjoy the songs a little bit less. Like Fat Bottom Girls, just like you're like, let's turn it up. I, I don't do that, but I do often like to say, get on your bikes and ride. <laughs> <laughs> get on your bikes and ride. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, they've written a ton of songs that I fucking love. Like I just absolutely love, but for those that are like Queen fans, I'm yeah, I'm not in that same category. But well, I guess in a way, and I know we got to wrap this up soon. But like, if we, well, <laughs> if we got a second break, I'm down. But like, <laughs> um, 
if you're going to write a song to encapsulate all time and like essence and whatever, it would basically be like, boom, 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 boom. I am a sucker for a good clap track. I do dude, like just songs with clapping in it. Yeah. Yeah. Big fan of it. Clapping and oohs and ahs. Oh, by the way, we haven't even talked about the song that transcends time, man. We have we not? We haven't even talked about face the music. Well, it, yeah. Dude, this has been fun. This has been a good time. I don't know how well it's going to translate into the podcast because I feel we were more all over the place on this one and our previous ones. But I also think that maybe we had a couple more drinks tonight than other nights, but that's okay. I thoroughly enjoy this conversation and you know, if people are relying on us, whether, you know, if people are relying on us to make sense of a movie, they're already failing. I, I agree and disagree. We have watched a movie. It's true. Uh, so if people enjoy this, that would say watch the movie. Yeah. So final couple questions I have for you this evening. Okay. In the grand scope of Keanu Reeves, Keanu Reeves franchises. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Let's get into the cool breeze. (laughs) Where does this rank? You know, do you rank this in the middle of John Wick and the Matrix? Or do you rank it at the bottom? Or do you rank it at the top? Oh, man. Well, I'd go Matrix number one. I would go probably Bill and Ted's number two. And what was the other one? John Wick. Shit. (laughs) Uh, so so i go matrix number one john wick number two okay you know what it's matrix number one bill and test number two john wick number three so what i can do is in the one two three four five six in the seven films that i have seen my favorite of the bunch is the original Matrix. The original Matrix. Oh, absolutely, yeah. (laughs) A lot of feelings John has on that one. Is The Matrix your favorite Keanu Reeves movie? Yes, for me. Uh, I don't know if that's my favorite Keanu Reeves movie, but I'm going to just only stick with these, and then we'll talk about just Keanu Reeves movies as a whole. All right, how about this? Out of the trilogies, any trilogy. So for me, the original Matrix is the best of these of the nine potential movies, granted I've only seen seven of them, of these nine potential films, I think the original Matrix is the best. Oh. Um, my second favorite is going to, honestly, it's this movie right here. I take this, me, me for my personal tastes, as somebody that enjoys time-traveling films and as that uh, also enjoys good nostalgia and also as a, as a son and as a father... Yeah, this one hits me in the feels a little bit more. It, it, it's so funny because of the fact, I mean, this is a, a feel-good comedy, but it does touch on some really, really deep themes. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that both uh, Matheson and Solomon, you know, you're, you're the two writers who have been consistent and constant in this trilogy, you know, they wrote the original, and they wrote the sequel, they wrote this one. They have gotten older themselves. They've maintained a good relationship with Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, but they themselves are fathers now. And when they wrote this, they might not have been. They they might have been younger or, you know, uh, a little bit more naive. But through maturity and time, they're, they're fathers. And I think 
I think something it's just it's that natural progression of adulthood. Not to say that you you know you you don't you're not an adult if you don't have a kid. That's not what I'm going. But just that 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 whole projection uh, that progression of our adulthood adulthood from one chapter of our lives into a, the next chapter. You 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 gain a different sense of perspective, and I think this movie is able to tap into that and harness into that. And this movie, this, this is just a really, really good positive movie. And as I said before, just completely devoid of any cynicism at all. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a child, whether you're a brother, whether you're a sister, best friends can still, you know, be family. And, and that's, that's what this movie is all about is this movie. That is the overriding, the overriding theme is family as John stated earlier. And we could have saved ourselves a ton of time in this podcast and just focus on John's <laughs> message where the original was about history. The second one was about, you know, life and death. This one is about family. And that's really what this movie all boils down to. And if you've got a good relationship with your family, you're going to feel this one, or maybe you, you know, aspire to have a good relationship with your family. You're going to feel something with this movie and it's still really freaking funny in the process. It's going to pull on those heartstrings and it's still going to make you laugh. And that's cool. All right. So are you ready for tonight's trivia, sir? <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So I only, I only have four questions for you. All right. Bring you. All right. How many times do they go into the future to take the song from Bill and Ted, from a future Bill and Ted? How many times do they go into the future? I'm going to say three. So close. It's four. So they go two years into the future where they're at like the little restaurant. I think it's a restaurant. They go five yeah, years they, into the future they, when they're at Dave they, Grohl's can, house. Can I stop you for a quick second? They, went, they were at the La Bonita. La Bonita. <laughs> where, do you know what song they were playing? Um, I don't. Was it like a, like a metal song by like... We are those who rock. That was their, their hit song that came out. Oh. Yeah, so you, you you go two years into La Bonita, five years into Dave Grohl's house, and do we need to talk about Dave Grohl? Now Dave Grohl's in the movie for a minute and a half. You know, he's um, of the cameos in the movie. I think he's the least interesting. I think Kid Cudi is such a great cameo because he plays himself, and he's an expert at like the space time continuum sure, in this. Yeah, you know? yeah. well, it, I guess this goes back to like you. Know, if you're going to like make a movie, why not have a character who could just explain everything? Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. And it's just great that it's, yeah, it's great that you have a character that can explain everything. And it's really funny when it's a contemporary, like hip hop artist that just knows all the rules in it. And it's really funny. And I've heard a lot that, uh, the actor, um, well, the, the artist Kit Cudi, I don't know his real, his real name, but he's been getting into a lot of acting lately. Should uh, we say Mr. Cuddy? Yeah, we'll call him Mr. Cuddy. Yeah, Mr. Cuddy sounds good. Um, but yeah, so they go two years, they go five years, they go ten years when they're in jail, and then they go they go um, toward the end of their life, which is like the the year twenty sixty seven. So I guess this brought so me to a question that I had for you was how many Bill and Ted's can you name? Like good Bill and Ted, bad Bill and Ted. 
I see what you're saying. Okay. All right. Well, I, I think I can, I, I think I could do this. So, and the first one, you've got Bill and Ted, and then you got future Bill and Ted where they meet each other at the seven 11 69 dude. Yep. I'm glad you threw that one in. That's an important one. Uh, and then the second one that you see is you still have original Bill and Ted. Then you've got uh, our evil us's evil, uh, evil robot us's. And then you've got our good robot. Yep. <laughs> You're doing it, man. And then in this one, you still have Bill and Ted, but then you've got Bill and Ted two years. You got Bill and Ted five years. You got Bill and Ted 10 years. You've got Bill and Ted at the end of time. So that is, I believe, nine different Bill and Ted, uh, Bill and Ted versions that you see. Now, you also have Bill and Ted versions that you don't see, which are when they're telling their story of like, well, we'll just do this and we'll, we'll tell ourselves the, to do that. Well, I'm really glad you brought up the part in the parking lot where the, cause like that's the whole thing. It's like, those guys are different Bill and Ted's. They are. Yeah. Like when they walked out, like the second they walked out, they were different Bill and Ted's. Yep. Um, so yeah. yeah those, those are the ones I had. All right. Um, so four is the correct answer. You did three. That's okay. That's not bad. All right. All right. But what is the name of the song that they're playing at Deacon's wedding? Oh man, the translucent. That's a good experience. guess. It's called that which binds us through time. All right, question number three. Am I am I over two on this thing? You're over two. You're over two. <laughs> oh shit! Here you go. You got you got this one though. You got this one. Okay. Name Keanu Reeves. <laughs> <laughs> Can you name any? Any of the instruments that Keanu Reeves plays bagpipes. Bagpipe, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Who, it, always co- it always comes back to Keanu Reeves, man. Who do the daughters recruit for the band? Jimi Hendrix, Louis Armstrong, Mozart, Ling Lu. Grom. But, oh yeah. So that that that's the one that's unique to me. You're like Keith Moon may not have been available at that time. Right, right. Okay. So question number five. Give me your top five Keanu uh, Keanu Reeves films. Oh man. All right. Let's start. Let's start with Speed. Okay. Yeah. Uh, do you want to talk about Speed? Not today. I I, I want, when I when I talk about Speed, I want it to be an episode because. I, I, I fucking love the movie Speed. Do I think it's like an Oscar winning type film? Like it, it, it's going to blow your mind on like, this is how a movie is made. No, but the way the movie is shaped and the, the storyline. And, and again, we were talking about beats earlier in this podcast from one moment to the next moving a story forward. That is a near perfect movie. It does it. It'll it obeys all of the rules that it sets forth. It has good, good acting, good leads uh, from one moment to the next, good drama, good tension, uh, a level of unpredictability. I, 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 I'm going to shut myself up because of the fact that I really can go on forever about the movie Speed. I really do think it is one of the top 10 best action movies ever made. When I think about the actress from that film, like that's a great cast. Yeah, it is. It is. 
It's a great cast. Uh, so that's number five. You got speed. What else you got? Parenthood number four. Dude, I am so glad you put Parenthood on this list. I don't think enough people have seen Parenthood, but that was a great, great early Keanu Reeves role. And it's a fantastic movie. And I'm pretty sure there are a ton of listeners that haven't seen that movie. Go out and watch it. Great movie. It uh, The TV show is based on the movie and it's a great movie. And the only other thing that I'm going to mention is I went to school with the with the with the with the son in that movie, the one that doesn't want to play baseball. Uh, uh, yeah, I went I went to school with him in Ella, middle school. Uh, I was in eighth grade. He was in seventh grade. He shouldn't have even been out there. He shouldn't have even been out there. Yeah, his name is his name is Jason Fisher, and he was in Parenthood and the movie The Witches and. He was also in Hook. He was in Hook as well. One of the Lost Boys. Okay. All right. So number three, number three, Keanu Reeves. Do I do it? Do I do it now? Uh, I'm going to throw it on the Matrix. Okay. Yeah. Matrix is number three. Think about the Matrix. It's so good. And if you want to believe in it, it's a great trilogy. It's a good trilogy. It's a good trilogy. But the first film was so good. Yeah, I yeah, I love the first movie. I didn't really care for the second or third, but I loved the first movie. I thought there was sure. just too much, uh, too much CG. Not that the first one didn't have CG, but I thought it was distracting in the second and third film. Well, well where do you take where like we praise Bill and Ted for finishing off a trilogy? But we deprise Matrix for trying to do it quick. You know, like there's kind of a dynamic between those that we. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm 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 with you. I I think rushing is the 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 accurate term. I think that the Matrix felt felt a little rushed. That the first one came out and it blew people's minds away with how neat and how unique and how specific the world that they just established was. And then they come out a couple of years later with, with a second one. And there are hints of that, some of that same thing that you saw in the first one, but some of the, the expanded world that we were introduced to, you didn't get a lot of buy-in with it. And I will often compare the Matrix trilogy with like the Star Wars, the original Star Wars trilogy, because they they operate in kind of the, the same way. But where the Star Wars trilogy succeeds, it's the same way that the Matrix series fails in that when they expand these worlds, you care about the rebellion because of the fact that there's buy-in from the first episode or rather the original, you don't really have that same buy-in on the, the second matrix. Uh, you hear about people that live in, uh, I forget the name of um, Zion. Zion. Thank you. Zion. You, you hear about it, but you don't really have enough buy-in to really care about Zion there. And and then when you are introduced to it, it really doesn't seem like anything really interesting that you want to care about too much because all you really care about is whatever is going on with Neo. And 
you're more intrigued by his journey versus the bigger picture. That that's a fault a little bit uh, of the storytelling. The original Matrix oh, is brilliant. Or, or is that a great message? Don't don't worry about the superstars. Worry about your own job. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Yeah, that's not that's not what they're going for. Yeah, like I, it's just there. There are so many things that I feel failed with uh, with the Matrix trilogy. And I went into that second one really excited. Like, oh, dude, this is going to be awesome. Oh, I'm excited. Hey. Yeah. yeah. And then, and there were elements about it that I enjoyed, but overall I came out being like, no, mm-mm, mm-mm. it just didn't, it didn't expand on the world in the way that I cared about. And it just didn't intrigue me. It's a tough conversation to have because, like, we're 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 diving deep, and I would love to have a conversation we'll, about the we'll matrix. We'll file this one away. We'll file yeah. this one away. Let's but move on to your number four. The replacements. Ah, oh, dude, that's a good one. That's a real, real good one. It is one of the ones like where you're at. No matter where you're at, like if it's on TV, it's like, yeah, we'll leave it on. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, then. Your your number five better be what I'm hoping it's going to be at least. Point break. Okay, thank God. I'm like, if if you do a top five and point break isn't in your top five, then you don't know Keanu Reeves. That's any movie. Yeah. No, that's not a Keanu Reeves movie. That's any movie. You want a love story movie? It's called point break. <laughs> you know what? You want a drug dealing bank Scream movie. It's called Point Break. Dude, there no, is there is no there is no uh, there there is no Dark Knight without Point Break. Well, I do think there's an idea of like a perfect movie. Well, in a perfect movie, in my mind, is it has good action, it has a good love story, and it has a good message. Well, maybe not a good message. That's why it's third. But like with, <laughs> with Point Break, it's like you got action. You got a love story, you know, with Top Top Gun. You got action. You got a love story. It's like there's there is kind of a formula to that, but I want to say Point Break's a better movie than Top Gun. Fundamentally, one hundred percent, yes, I agree. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy Top Gun, but no, Point Break is a better. It's a better film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it has not only Keanu Reeves, but you also get Patrick Swayze. So you, you're getting you're getting a yin and yang right there. You're getting you're getting a little like blonde love and a little like brunette, you know, like you're getting both sides of the coin. Well, right there. Who'd you who's taking a fist fight? Who would I take in a fist fight between Keanu Reeves? Pat, and- no, no. Is Keanu Reeves and Patrick Swayze versus Val Kimmer and Tom Cruise? Oh, I'm still taking. It's a double fist fight. Yeah, I'm still. I'm. I'm gonna. Whoever, whatever side Patrick Swayze is on, I'm taking. <laughs> oh, absolutely, man. Yeah. <laughs> Roadhouse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude. He may only have been like five six, but he 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 was shredded. And I don't even know if he was five six. I'm just saying he like the whole thing about Dalton is. I thought you would have been bigger, right? So you just think that you know that maybe he he's not the biggest dude in the world. Well, we'll get. Uh, let's talk about 
Kiana. Let's talk about some of the actors <laughs> yeah. in this film. That's right? in Bill's head. So you said I can't. I can't have like a, a Patrick Swayze love fest right now. Okay, God damn it. Well, 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 I think that's coming later. So, um, but let's yeah, Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted was a good film. <laughs> let's not do it right now. But what are your top five? Keanu films. I think literally every single film that you have, I don't know if I'd put it in the same order, but every movie that you had on that list, I might take the replacements off and put, I'm going to go deep cut and I'm only going to do it. And I don't even really believe it's in my top five, but I just want to be somewhat contrary and throw out a movie that wasn't referenced, but also a movie that I think maybe shows an element a different side of Keanu Reeves that many of us haven't seen, which is he was in this movie. I think it came out in 1999, maybe 2000. Standard Darkly. No, that's a good, that's a good one though. That is a good one. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with a movie called The Gift. And there was another movie recently called The Gift that came out, but this is a movie called The Gift that came out in 1999 or 2000. And it stars him and Kate Blanchett and Katie Holmes and in this movie, Keanu Reeves is an asshole. He's a like wife beating redneck. And you've never ever seen Keanu Reeves play a role like this, where he's just an out and out horrible human being. And it might it might be the most interesting role I've ever seen him in. And and it's funny because I I have a love-hate relationship with with Keanu Reeves. Like, I don't know if I actually think he's a good actor or a bad actor or or what, but whenever he's on camera, I'm captivated. You know what I mean? I don't don't know if I think he's good or if I think he's bad. He tries hard. He does. He tries hard. And you know that he's like an out and out good human being. So you root for somebody like that. Like every, every story you've ever heard about Keanu Reeves is something positive, you know, like he's the type of asshole that will like save a cat from a burning like building, you know, like he really is that type of guy that would do that. Now I don't know if he's ever actually done it, but I would believe if I heard given the opportunity, dude, he would do it. (laughs) He would, he would, Yeah, but we don't know. We yeah, but he's notoriously recognized for being just an all-around good human being. This and, this might be late in the show, but can you give me a breakdown of what Billy Bill Winters has done over the last twenty years? Oh, Alex Winter, yeah. Or Alex Winter, sorry. Yeah, so this is really cool. So obviously, we we know Alex Winter as playing Bill in the Bill and Ted trilogy. He prior to this was a bit of a child actor. He had done a lot of like television and Broadway, and he had a small role in the nineteen eighty seven vampire movie The Lost Boys. He played one of the Lost Boys in that film, but. You know, he 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 signed on, he did Bill, and he did the follow-up. But after this, he really got into filmmaking. And prior to doing Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, he had done filmmaking, like doing directing of like short films and, and things of that nature. But post-Bogus Journey, he discovered a uh, a love of doing documentary films. And for the past 25 to 30 years that's what he's really been doing. He's been doing a a ton, a ton of documentary work. And it looks healthy. He, oh, well, one, I'll ask, I I think that's also kind of a good, like, uh, thing to bring out. 
I think I think Alex Winter has aged fantastically. He looks very yeah. much like he did as a teenager in, in Bill and Ted. It, it's funny because I, I think Keanu Reeves is fantastic, but I think Keanu Reeves looks like he's <laughs> aged more of the two. And Keanu Reeves is that A-list actor, but Keanu Reeves looks a little bit more leathery than than Alex Winter does. But that, that's what Alex Winter, people have often given Alex Winter a lot of shit because he isn't a Hollywood A-list actor like Keanu Reeves, but that's not his path. He, he went into behind the scenes writing and, and directing, and that's, that's what he's passionate about. <laughs> Look at me, man. I'm fucking bringing the heat. I wasn't, uh, no. I wasn't, I wasn't prepared for that question. I didn't no. have any notes. I just threw that shit out. I love it, man. No, that's what I wanted. The thing is, I feel like it brings the conversation around circle, just like the movie does. Because I want to, I want to go back to where you said, like your favorite scene was whenever they go and meet Bill and Ted, old Bill and Ted. Yeah, it is a great scene where like they they don't know what they're up to, but they're like, you know, they they get a chance to just tell each other. Ted says. I feel like I never knew you. <laughs> and old Tess says, I feel like I never knew myself. <laughs> yeah. That's partly my fault. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But Bill has the same kind of conversation. If you could go to the future and your future self couldn't tell you anything, but you could tell your future self something, what would what'd you ever say, man? What if, what would I ever say to my future self? Or <laughs> yeah, what? it doesn't even, even matter. What would you say, man? Dude, I have no idea what I ever say to myself <laughs> in the future. I've got tons of things I would tell myself in the past, but in the future, um, I, I don't think I would tell myself anything. Party on. I, party on i would i would listen i would ask what you know what are some things that you learned is there anything you would pass on to me but i, I don't i don't i wouldn't tell sure. a future version of myself anything i would ask well another thing i would just say to anybody who knows anybody who's older in life like their grandma their moms or whoever just go ask about what life was like you know, yeah. like, hey, grandma, what was the depression like? You know, like, just go ask questions, you know, go enhance yourself as an individual by asking people about what life was like. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're I think you bring up a really interesting point. And I think for those of us that if you're lucky enough to have a grandparent still. Yeah, ask them some questions about about their life. You know, ask them what are some things that they learned. Uh, shit, you, you've got a parent. You, you know, not all of us still do. Fucking yeah. talk to talk to your parents. You know, like ask them questions. I want to like, say cookies, and I was like, "What? Man, these cookies ain't good. What the fuck's up with these cookies?" And then my grandma was like, "Well, the milk was spoiled, but like she grew up in the depression." Mm-hmm. So it's like that's what you used to do with old milk. You'd make cookies with them, man. You know, like shit like really? that. Huh. Yeah, yeah, man. It's like you're not gonna let that there go to waste. But it's like there's an appreciation that I think comes with it. And I would hope anybody who's listening today is just like, if you're going through hard times, keep on pushing through, man. Yeah, man. I think because God I think- made rock and roll music. <laughs> 
I think that I think that's a good way to wrap up today. Uh, listeners, I do want to sincerely thank you for, for listening to this podcast. I thoroughly enjoy making these, and I hope you have just a tenth of as much interest in listening to these as I do making them. It's a great opportunity for me, one, to speak about movies, but also to speak about people or speak to people that – that I really, really love and admire and respect. That's why I bring these people on each week. And John Rowe, when I first met you, shit, at this point, I guess it's been six, maybe seven years, I my life has been completely enriched, and I am eternally grateful to have you as, as a friend. Uh, you are one of my favorite people in this world, and I, I love our conversations. I also love how nonlinear our talks can go, um, and it, it's great. And that's 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 why I do this. I, I do this to introduce people that I care about to other people that I care about, and just see where our conversations go. And are my podcasts perfect? Hell no. And I don't want them to be. I want them to be natural and organic conversations and just how we all, we talk about things and, and the, the tying bind of my podcast is cinema. I enjoy this. And I, all I'm saying is I, I hope you enjoy listening to this just a fraction as much as I enjoy making this. So I'm going to turn it over to John. Let him say his final goodbyes for this episode. This is the conclusion to our trilogy. John Rowe will return at some point. I'm sure we'll figure out another movie uh, to do, hopefully in the in the near future, because this is just too much fun to to not have him back uh, as often as possible. Quite frankly, so John, do you have any any parting thoughts on this movie, this discussion, any other discussions, Patrick Swayze, whatever? Well, I got a lot. So, (laughs) (laughs) one, thank you for bringing me on, Andrew. It has been a pleasure. But some of the things we discussed over the time was like, what are your favorite top five time travel movies? Well, Back to the Future, Bill and Ted's, Terminator. Uh, Yeah, those are my top three favorites. And... uh, I think you got the good ones. I think you got yeah. the good ones. Yeah. Well, Time Cop was what I wanted to talk about because Time Cop had one of my favorite actresses of all time. Yes, Sarah. Yes. Yes. Simone from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. So Time Cop. And also, I, I can't remember her name, but she was also in Legend with um, Tom Cruise and Tim Curry. Well, and I felt like Tim Curry was a big representation of like how they want to have devil in the second film. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. But uh, other than that, like things to wrap up from this film, (laughs) I would want. Shout out to the princesses. The princesses were in it again. And keeping it with the tradition, different actresses from one movie to the next. We, we've had three different movies, three different princesses for, for each princess. Oh, so they're kind of doing that uh, National Lampoon style. Yeah, they, they do the Rusty and Audrey thing right there. Uh, I did look up some of the actresses and uh, for the princesses and the daughters. And I do think one of them would have had to have a child at 14 years old, <laughs> which would have been okay for like British English standards. 
Yeah, good call. The the uh, I was looking that up to find out who you were referring to. So the actress that plays the the redheaded princess, that actress is Gemma Joanne. Hay- Joanne. Joanne. Uh, she was born in 1979. So in 19, you know, 1979. So um, in 2020, so she's 41. She, she was she was she was 10 years old in the first film. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So in 2020, she, if it, you know, she's born in 79, she's 41. And if she has a daughter that is at least 24 years old, as stated by the father, then 24, 41. So 17, she would have been 17, maybe. I'm cool with that, man. But this, is where cool. this, but this is where it gets wonky because of the fact that we're supposed to believe that these are the same kids. The timeline isn't correct. And it's a small whatever. We got we, we dive it down deep. I don't want to do that. I'm going to shut it up. But bottom line is that the, uh, uh, Billy and Thea should have been 29 years old, not 24. So that that's all I'm going to say. Okay, well, I think that's a great place to leave it. That's a great place. Fuck this movie. Their, their timeline was off. No, yeah, no. bullshit movie. <laughs> hey, but we um, we just talk about uh, putting out what we thought this movie ranking was worth. Good call. All right. So scale of one to 10, I want you to just um, say part one on a scale of one to 10, I would give it a 7.0. Number two, I would give a 7.3. This one, I would give an 8.0, whatever, whatever your rankings are. Sure. Um, I don't believe in points. Okay. I believe in trophies. <laughs> so, like, it, it would be easy to say set it across the board. But, and I know in the second podcast I said that the first movie I like more, but I do think the first movie, Excellent Adventure, is a six. Boogie's Journey is a seven. Yes. And this, and this movie is a seven as well. Okay. Okay. I, I respect it. I respect it. Yeah. Um, for me, the, the series improves from one movie to the next. And I, 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 for me, I enjoyed this movie. And I don't even think it has anything to do with the fact that it's the most recent and it's a more contemporary cast and more contemporary anything. But the emotional response I had of the, had it out of this one is just not comparable uh, in relation to the previous. So it's my favorite of the bunch, but They're all good. They're all really good films for what they are. And these movies don't aspire to be anything more than what they are. They're not trying to do anything other than be a fun 90-minute ride. And for that, I think they all succeed. And if you haven't seen these movies, I highly encourage you to watch them. They're they're not going to... ah, I'm not even going to say that. They They might affect you, but... They're, they're simple stories that, that are just, they're, they're a fun ride. And as I said earlier in this, it, it, it's, it's refreshing to watch something that is completely devoid of cynicism. There's so much cynicism out there, whether in art or reality, that this, it, it's fun to watch a movie that is a total escape from that. And I love a dark movie every bit as much as the next person. And I love a movie that is trying to say something 
deep or have really, really introspective themes and can be very heady. I enjoy that as much as the uh, the rest of the time, but as much as the next person, but sometimes it's fun just to watch a good popcorn ride. And that's what this franchise has been, but it's done it in a way that I never felt that it pandered to the audience. When it's all done and the credits roll, you'll be hard pressed not to have a, a smile on your face. And it's fun. And this is why I love cinema. I, I love movies like Vertigo that have a lot of things to say and then are very artistic. And then I love movies like this that aren't trying to be overt, like overtly artistic, but are just trying to have a fun ride and make people laugh and smile. And sometimes when we live in a crazy world where there's very little to smile about, we need our Bill and Ted's of the world. So that's all I've got to say. Thank you, Bill and Ted, for making me smile. Yeah, it reminds me of Emilio Estevez in Young Guns 2 where he goes, I will finish the game. I will finish the game. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's a, a better way to end it. I, I think what I said is completely trumped by your Emilio Estevez reference. So I think we're going to wrap up tonight. So thank you, everybody. We will see you next week. And John, say goodbye to the fine friends. Bye. <laughs> All right. Good night, everybody. 